This is episode number 29 with leadership expert, Scott Miller. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. You know I get fired up about basically every single guest that I bring on in every interview that I have, but today I am ultra excited for you to hear from Scott Miller. Scott is the Chief Marketing Officer and Executive Vice President of Thought Leadership with Franklin Covey Company. Franklin Covey is the world leader in helping organizations achieve results that require lasting changes in human behavior. They provide content, tools, methodology, training, and thought leadership, all based on a foundation of unshakable principles and proven practices. Scott plays a huge role in providing a lot of the content and training. He is the host of the webcast, podcast, and newsletter called On Leadership with Scott Miller, and he's also the host of the radio program called Great Life, Great Career with Scott Miller. Scott's the author of the upcoming book, Management Mess to Leadership Success, 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Would Follow. It's already open for pre-order now, and you can find it out in bookstores starting in June. Today, Scott and I talk about how important it is for leaders to have humility and curiosity. Scott gives so much great advice for young people in the early stages of your career, but they can truly be applied at any point in your lives. He talks about the importance of having good character, treating others the right way, and being true to yourself. Get out your pen and your notepad because there are so much actionable material that you'll be able to take away from this episode that you will not want to miss. If you enjoy this episode while you're listening, take a screenshot of it and post it on your Instagram stories. Let me know what your favorite part about it was. If you let me know what your favorite part is, I can bring more people on there to give you more insight and more information on that topic. If you know someone who is looking to become a better leader in their company or who is just starting out in their career and looking to move up quickly, send them this episode. Be the person who helped them get their first, second, or third raise or promotion. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on being our best self today with the expert in leadership, Scott Miller. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am fired up for today's interview with this guy named Scott Miller with here with me here today. And Scott is the Chief Marketing Officer and Executive Vice President of Thought Leadership with the Franklin Covey Company. And you also are the host of the On Leadership with Scott Miller webcast, podcast, and newsletter, uh, where you basically interview people, authors, business leaders, thought leaders on how to just be the best leader you can possibly be and personal growth. And then you're also the host of your radio program, Great Life, Great Career with Scott Miller, where you give people, I guess, kind of tools and tips in order to grow their personal performance and become business better business leaders. And then what I'm super stoked to uh, talk about today is going to be your upcoming book, Management Mess to Leadership Success. And it's the 30 challenges to become the leader that you would follow. So you have a lot of great stuff going on right now, so I'm in super fired up to get into it, and I know people should get out their notepads. If you're listening in the car, you're going to want to listen to it again and take some notes on this because we're going to have some great actionable material for career advice, for habits, for accountability, motivation, and all that good stuff. So appreciate you joining me today, Scott. My pleasure, man. First advice as a chief marketing officer, you got to put your name in your logo. Best you with Nick Carrier. Always uh, add your name at the end of everything. <laughs> Very good. I'll, I'll make sure that I'll make sure I make that happen. It is Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. So, so I there you go. Okay, that. so you've got it. Okay, so you I need it somewhere on here though. Yeah, you put your name in front of it. I like that. Good job. <laughs> uh, well, very good. Well, basically, I want to give a, people a little bit of context. You've been with Franklin Covey for about twenty three years now, correct? And your role has obviously changed, developed, uh, and been reinvented as you've gone through the past. But I kind of want to start in the beginning days. Is there any one 
decision, a best decision or most important decision that you made at a young age that you didn't necessarily realize it was going to be as important as it turned out being? Yeah, it's a great first question. I think it's building your network. I think from very early on, even in high school, I was, you know, student body president, but not, not, a, not a phenomenal academic student. But I really realized that if I could build a network with older, more professional, mature people in my life, it would pay off. And I always practiced a concept I call friend up. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really good insight for younger people is to become friends with people who are older than you, wiser, more mature, that are more established. Because most people that are, that are successful inherently want to give back. They want to take someone under their wing. So when my 20-year-old friends were out, you know, drinking in you know, fraternities, which is fine. Now you're not 20, 21. Right. I was, you know, I was with city councilors and attorneys and doctors and at their house having dinner, listening and absorbing. My friends were always 10 or 15 or even sometimes 20 years older than me because that's where I learned. That's where I kind of understood the mistakes they made. I really never had friends my own age and it always paid off well. Even now, I'm 50 my friends are in their late 50s, 60s, and 70s because I still learn more from my elders than I do kind of my contemporaries. That's really cool. I've never heard that phrase of friend up before, and I think that's a great learning lesson. So I'm interested, what kind of questions and what kind of conversations is it important to have with those sorts of people? Like if you're surrounding yourself with them, like what kind of questions should I be asking them in order to help grow myself? I was always fascinated with people's career journeys. I, I was very, a bit of a linear thinker, and I kind of wanted to know, you know, if I had a friend named Bill who was a patent attorney, who was very, very successful. I'm from Central Florida, Orlando originally, and so I was always interested to know, you know, what was your degree? What were your grades like? How did you get into law school? How did you choose patent law over mm -hmm. real estate law or intellectual property? So I was very interested in understanding, and then what did you do? And then what was next? And then how did you do that? And what mistakes did you make? I was always fascinated to understand when someone made a mistake, a bad decision, or they got in with the wrong group. I, I, I really love to learn from the mistakes that people make. It's, I think this idea of um, sometimes a disappointment turns into an appointment. Mm. And that's not my own phrase. When one door closes, another door opens. So I was always very intent on listening and asking questions around their career strategy, and I just absorbed it. I was also a voracious reader. I mean, literally, I was that kind of nerd who in high school was reading the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. I wanted to build my vocabulary. I was fascinated in learning how to read stock tables and what was the NASDAQ versus the New York Stock Exchange. So I was a voracious magazine reader. Literally, I was a freshman in college, and I was subscribing to 42 magazines a week. Not just business, <laughs> I know, is crazy, right? And I went and I had a social life, you know. I played tennis and water skied and traveled, but I really felt like those those sort of three things is friending up, learning to ask really smart questions on people's careers. What was their career journey? Because after asking, you know, three hundred people that, I had a really good idea of how do you become a chief marketing officer? How do you become a CEO? How do you become the mayor? How do you become a dentist? Mm. And it kind of helped me to realize, okay, well, I don't want to do that. And I don't like chemistry or biology, so I'm not going to be a physician. And then lastly, just this passion around reading really helped to develop my vocabulary, broaden my interest, and get a really good sense for what is business like and where are my natural talents going to fit. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's really important to have the conversations also when you when you said that in terms of I know how to be a now I can know how to be a chief marketing officer. Now I can know how to do that. Now I know that this maybe isn't the thing that I want to go do. I think having those conversations for people who don't necessarily know what they want to go do or know what their passion is or know what job they want to go into, having those conversations makes you aware of what people in those roles are doing and what it takes to actually get there. And then they can find something that might resonate with them or sound like something that I want to go do. And that'll kind of lead them down the road of what they should do in their career. So I think I feel like that to me sounded like a huge takeaway um, of something that you were able to benefit from, from having these sorts of conversations. I think even earlier on, when I was your age, Nick, just coming out of college, I, I didn't have an appreciation that every company had a finance division, right? With accounts payable and accounts receivable and collectibles. And I didn't realize there was a product, product development division, a marketing division and sales and business development and operations and shipping and supply chain. And the more that I follow people's careers and said, so supply chain, what does that mean? You, so you, so, oh, I see. So you source products in foreign countries or you work with Six Sigma or you're in distribution. It was really helpful for me to early on understand. And most companies are organized fairly similarly, right? There aren't any phenomenal changes in structural, you know, some are flat and some are matrixed and hybrid, but it was helpful for me to get my first corporate job at the Disney company. It was a profound experience to really understand the structure of organizations. And the more I understood that, the more I said, yeah, I'm not interested in, in finance or operations uh. or supply chain, but, but, but innovations, product development, marketing, communication, PR, that's where my skills are. And that was very helpful. Ah, I think, it's re- I think that's really good. Um, so you talk about in your book about challenges or I guess this, in the book, the challenges is kind of like how to start challenging yourself to do this in order to grow. But um, you talk a lot about failures, the challenges that you've had in the past, how you've gotten uncomfortable and how you've kind of grown from those. I think that when we have challenges, that's the time where we lack the motivation the most in order to kind of keep pursuing forward and stay consistent with our efforts. So what do you have you found for you that helps you stay motivated during those times of challenge and uncomfort? Yeah, probably the fact that every successful person has had major setbacks. You just as a as a person on the outside only see the magazine cover. You only see the eventual radio program. Right? There are no there's no such thing as overnight success. All of these overnight successes are doing just what you did. They started at age 23 and they put themselves out there and they created a, a podcast like your own. And then you see mm-hmm. them when they're on the cover of Fortune or you see them on the Today Show. So I think recognizing that every CEO, every athlete, every celebrity, every business leader, you know, even the minor success that I've had. I mean, I'm launching my first book right now. Mm-hmm. I've got three books in the pipeline. You know, in four years, I might be the next, you know, host of a major TV program, or I might be completely irrelevant. You know, it's right, just right. It's, it's, it's just recognizing that the only way to create significant success is trial and error. Pick yourself back up, dust yourself off. Don't be mesmerized by what the successful person looks like at the end of the road because their journey was fraught with no's, no's, no thank yous, people not taking their phone call. And mm-hmm. if you want it hard enough, you got to keep your eye on the prize. And, and you got to not be intimidated by people's criticism. There is a cultural phenomenon that the Australians call it cutting down the high poppy. And I guess a poppy is like a plant and any, anyone that grows high, 
the others, you know, people tend to cut it down. And I think there's some sadness in that people tend to be jealous of other successful, effective people. And you have to be fairly adept at taking the feedback that's helpful and internalizing it and disregarding what's not. I mean, the vitriol that's out there on my Facebook and LinkedIn pages. And I mean, it's amazing. People comment on my glasses and my hair and <laughs> and, and, and I'll tape, I tape a video every day with an insight. And people will say to me, have you ever even had a leadership job? Uh, yeah, I've like hired 200 people and I've fired probably 50 people. And so you just got to have a good sense of self-confidence. You have to mm. never let it impact your self-esteem. And you have to know that your self-worth is God-given. No one can impact your self-worth and just keep plowing through. Right. How do people start actually taking action on kind of avoiding the outside noise because I feel like that is more and more prevalent nowadays in terms of getting outside criticism. Even outside praise sometimes can lift you up to a point where maybe it shouldn't because the outside praise is just from like your family or like a close friend. So how do people start taking action on really evaluating the feedback, positive or negative, that they're getting from the outside world? It's, it's, it's a great insight and question. I think having your own board of advisors is, especially when you're young, if, you're, if you friend it up like I've advised you to, you'll have some wise, educated people that you can trust. You trust them to tell you the truth, the good truth and the mm -hmm. bad truth. And establish some feedback loops, not just with people who like you, because I think most people are well-intended, but they're fairly cowardly on their feedback. Oh yeah, Nick, it's amazing. Your backdrop is great. Your questions are perfect. It's amazing. Everything is great. Everything's okay. Everything's perfect. Yeah, it's not, right? And so pick a few people that you really trust, people from different backgrounds, different ages, different levels of success, and bring them into a circle. Ask them, hey, would you be on my personal board of advisors? Uh, I'm gonna call you once a month for 15 minutes, I'm going to show you my latest LinkedIn article or my latest podcast interview with Scott Miller, and I want mm -hmm. you to rip it apart. I want you to tell me what are the three things you like about it that I should keep doing, what are the three things that I should absolutely stop doing, and what are the three things that I should improve on with some small measures. So the more feedback you get, the more you will become wise and discerning on what is helpful and what's unhelpful. Because I'll tell you, a lot of feedback is about the other person giving it. It's their own narrative in oh, their yeah. mind. It's you know stories they were told about them. There's some jealousy in it. So I think just assembling a good group, not 50 people, four or five, and maybe you cycle them in and cycle them out. <clears throat> and over time, you'll become a really discerning entrepreneur of what feedback to take and what to drop. Mm -hmm. I guess probably also the four or five people that you bring in, make sure that they've either done what you're trying to do in that area that you're trying to level up or have a certain expertise. Like, I'm not going to ask somebody just like a good friend to be honest with me about a podcast if they don't even listen to podcasts or if they don't have their own podcast or that sort of thing. So bring somebody who has a good background in that sort of area of their life. Yeah, in different generations. I, again, I think mm -hmm. surrounding, you know, for, for the younger generation, people that are your age, I think surrounding yourself with people that are in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s is enormously valuable because they have networks. And I mean, Nick, you would be a fool not to ask me offline to introduce me to introduce you to 10 other people I've interviewed, right? You, right. I mean, that'd be insane not to do that. And of course, I'd like to help you because you were on time today. You helped me you know, get my Skype 
of account, you know, <laughs> you prepped me ahead of time, you were class act. So why would I not want to help you? Well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, well, next question is, again, kind of going to be tar targeted towards uh, 23, 24, 25 year old who's starting their career. Let's say they have two minutes to sit down with you or they see you out at a coffee shop and they're like, Scott, you know, I want to start moving up in my career. I want to get a promotion. I want to get a raise. What are three things that I could do right now to increase the likelihood of that happening? Yeah, I've got, I've got them right now. The first is your reputation. Your reputation is your most valuable asset. <clears throat> and think of your reputation as the collective group of all the choices you make in life. Because, you know, as Dr. Covey, who's my hero and the author of the famed book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People said, there are three constants in life principles, change, and choice. And you really can't control principles. They govern human behavior, and you can't change change. It's going to come to you. But what you can control are your choices in life. Mm -hmm. You can't control the consequences, but you choose to make all your own decisions. So be very thoughtful because the collection of your decisions becomes your reputation online, in business, in your personal life, and just be, be, be uber thoughtful about your decisions. The next is deliver on your promises. Don't overcommit. It's better to say, thank you for that idea. I'm so mindful of not wanting to disappoint people. Right now, I'm already fully committed. I'm going to have to pass on that. It's something that I struggle with. I get invitations to go speak and keynote and fly to China and Hong Kong and Brazil. And you get excited about it and all kinds of podcasts. And you got to say, you know what? I'm overcommitted. I'm going to disappoint. So undercommit and over-deliver. It sounds mm -hmm. cliche-ish, it's so true. And I think, um, I think lastly, is don't be afraid to put yourself out there. You, you gotta be willing to have some criticism. I, I tell people, you know what, don't listen to podcasts. Start your own podcasts. Don't listen to TED Talks. Start your own TED Talks. I mean, you'd be surprised at how often, if you just ask, can I do that? Can I have some of that? You might get 10 no's, but you might get two yeses. Mm -hmm. And the world's a pretty abundant place. And most people are fairly interested in helping other people. And the more you have an abundant mentality and the more you help others, it will come back to you. I I'm not a big believer in karma. I'm a religious person, but I believe in what you give others will come back to you. Maybe that's karma. So the more abundance you show other people, it will absolutely come back to reward you. Here's one more tip, and this is about your career. I think too many people in their careers try to harvest too soon, meaning there's a famous phrase called the law of the harvest. It's about mother nature, and you cannot short-circuit corn or sugar mm. beets or wheat. You have to plant and sow, and you have to fertilize and water and weed, and things happen at their own right time, and I think with an efficiency mindset, people try to harvest the next promotion due too soon. <clears throat> Take your time. Do the job you were hired to do. Dress for the job you want to do, but, but buckle down and do the job. And when it is your right time, your boss, your leader, if they're worth their medal, they'll see that and they'll raise you. Doesn't mean you can't ask questions, how do I get to the next level? But be mindful of trying to harvest too soon. In fact, this is a great career lesson. Most potato farmers rotate their crops about every three years. And on the third or fourth year, they will plant a money-losing crop. No money on it. 
but the nutrients that are put back in the soil that year allow them to build, to grow much bigger, more robust potatoes the next year. There's a reason why these farmers do that is because you can't keep stripping the soil. You got to replenish the soil. And some years they earn literally no money because they know the next year they're going to have a bumper crop. So I advise people, ask yourself, is it time to harvest or is it time to keep planting and investing? I just think even at even in your 30s and 40s, people are so anxious to move up. They have to ask themselves, is it time or is it not? Right. And I think that touches on when you talked about being motivated and realizing that it always is going to take times. You have to put the in the consistent effort, focus, and energy. And because if you get something too early, you haven't built that foundation, that rock to be able to not maybe be worthy of it, but be able to like sustain it. Like if you haven't built this foundation beforehand, you're going to get this level of success to where you don't really know what to do with it and you could lose it as quickly as it came. So building that foundation um, is really important. Well said, Uh, Nick. Well said. Thank thank you. you. I'm really intrigued about accountability and following through with the promises that you make to yourself. That's one of the things you said under, well, don't, uh, under promise over commit. And a lot of that is being able to hold yourself accountable to the things that you say you're going to do. What have, what works for you best in terms of holding yourself accountable to doing the things that you say you're going to do and achieving the personal and business goals that you set for yourself? There's a lot of psychology written on this. Some people say, share your goals with everyone because then they'll keep you accountable. Others say, don't do that because they might shame you out of it. Or So I think I think different people have different processes. I, I like this idea of kind of one foot in front of the other, is make a goal to yourself, be disciplined, be accountable, stay focused on it, accomplish that, and then move, move on. I think there is a there is the propensity to be, be overwhelmed with um, too many commitments. I, I have found... I'm most accountable to myself when I when I list out all my goals and I go and I nail one and I become fiercely focused. I don't let anything distract me. I say no to other things and I get that goal accomplished because when I try to take on two or three or four or five, I just implode in the whirlwind. And the mm-hmm. more goals you have, the science shows the less likely you are to accomplish them. There's an inverse correlation. So I'm pretty deliberate now around Get, you know, this new book I've written, Management Mess, Leadership Success, get it published, get it out, make it a bestseller, uh, speak around the nation, and then move to the next book. Mm. Because I find myself, I'm a, I'll, I'll be a C plus at eight things versus an A at one things. And it's so tempting to, you know, try to be an A plus at 10 things. And most of us don't have the capacity for it. No, I think that's really important. And it just all comes down to focus and Today in our overstimulated world, that's the hardest thing for people to do. I was listening to something not long ago about how being able to focus is going to be like the number one tool that people are looking for in people that they need to work for them. Is like, can you actually focus in and dial in on that one specific goal that you have for yourself and then move on and not just get too scatterbrained and completely lose sight of what you're trying to accomplish? Nick, how did you get so wise? <laughs> I talk to people like you. Well, I, I'm impressed at your level of maturity. It's well beyond your years. I think what you've said is exactly wise and even profound. Focus is discipline. And I think the more self-awareness you have and the more you're willing to admit to yourself, how do I get distracted? What types of things distract me? And don't be ashamed of it. Just own it. You know, I get distracted 
because I, I can't focus for more than a half an hour. That's okay. Go take a break, right? Go do two reps downstairs in the gym, your house, have a cup of coffee and come right back. Don't be ashamed of who you are and what your proclivities are, but, but own them, understand them and work through them. Like I, I can get easily distracted. My wife can get easily distracted, but the more we're aware of what distracts us on our way to the goal, the goal might be getting to school on time. It might be getting to the interview on time. The more you are, the more you forgive yourself and you just kind of own who you are, the more focused you can become and you realize what the temptations are to be distracted and you kind of, you embrace them versus you, you um, ignore them. Right. And I think if you're not self-aware and you don't know those things that distract you, then you don't know what to start working on. So it's really important to be able to identify the, like, like you said, those things that distract you because then you can start actually taking action on avoiding those things. In fact, Nick, th this conversation's come full circle because you are you become self-aware only through feedback from others. You you are you can't inherently become self-aware. And I'll tell you, of all the people in my 25 years of being a formal leader, hiring and firing, almost every termination, sadly, was typically from a person's lack of self-awareness. They did mm. not understand that they were a poor communicator or that they were selfish or self-absorbed or couldn't collaborate. And they didn't have the maturity to go, and the humility and the confidence to go to Nick and say, Nick, can I ask you a favor? What was I like in that meeting earlier today? What, what did you like about my style? And what did you dislike about it? And Nick, how was I on the interview? Did I talk too much? Was I too shy? Was I too overpowering? And people become self-aware only when they have strong feedback loops. Mm. I think that's important. And that goes, like, like you said, goes to having that um, board of advisors for yourself to be able to kind of give you the honest feedback. So I want to get into, don't want to get into too much of it, but I, want, I do think I feel like I should touch on it real quick is, again, you're talking to somebody young and they are looking for a couple steps in order to increase their likelihood or ensure financial success, financial security down the road. What are a couple of things that young people should start doing in terms of saving, investing, or things of that nature to increase their likelihood of financial success and security? Well, if we knew this, I wouldn't be working still. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's, again, a wise question to be asking. One, I have a couple of ideas. One is it is really difficult to live in a capitalistic society, right? In, in a marketist society where the social mirror is so important. When I say the social mirror, meaning what you drive, what you wear, for ladies, what kind of purse you have, for guys, what kind of shoes or cell phone you have, it is difficult increasingly to delay instant gratification, right? I mean, you have these media pounding ideas, men's fitness magazine, you know, auto trader, real estate magazines. I want a better home. I want better pots and pans. I want a better wallet. I want a better car. And, you know, Mercedes, uh, which I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, in, I'm, I'm indebted to them for life because I own a few. They're now <laughs> marketing their cars to your age. They have entry-level models that are competing with Subarus now. So there is this barrage of media coming at you that says, in order to be liked, to be successful, to be appreciated. You need to own this and do that and wear this and drive that and carry this. And I would say some of that's true. I like driving a nice car. My life ha likes having a nice purse. And so be mindful of when should you treat yourself and when should you deprive yourself? Mm. And I think 
the younger generation are probably the wisest, most educated generation in history. And I think they're also subject to unprecedented media impact, especially on social media. I mean, you know, there, there's probably going to be proven in time nothing more damaging to your generation than social media. I, I, I use it as my obituary. Honestly, <laughs> whose friends from high school's parents are dying? Otherwise, <laughs> it's one of the most honestly, it is one of the most dangerous, negatively impactful things to see. Everybody's in Italy. Everybody's having a great time in Miami at South Beach. Right. Everybody's at Mardi Gras. And so I would say limit your social media because, as you know, it's not as great as that snapshot made it look. So be mindful of that. Second is work ethic. When I was your age, I'm doing just like you. I was working full time, 40 hours a week and going to school four time, you know, five classes. I was working uh, at a bakery at 5 a.m. delivering croissants and Danish and bread on a mm. bakery route. This was not glamorous, right? Driving a bakery van from 5 a.m. to 1 p.m. I went to school from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m., five days a week. And then when I worked for Disney, I worked for Disney from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., got in my car. I drove to school, went to school from 6 p.m. to 9.45 at night, Monday through Thursday. So I think work ethic is there's no shortcuts. Second is obviously having a good balance and discipline of how you manage your money is you know this idea of starting to save a little bit earlier, even just the habits. You know, Save a dollar a day, seven days a week. Everybody can afford to save a dollar a day, seven days a week. Do that for six months and then move it up to $2 a day. You know, Take the $4. $4 that you're gonna spend on the latte or the chai tea at Starbucks and go out and put it in a jar. At some point, there will be a tipping point in your life and you'll say, dang, I've got like $48 saved. I didn't have that last week. Now I've got you know, $68 saved or whatever it is. Right. The compounding nature of your habits are everything. You know, Most 23-year-olds mm. your age have some college debt. They're barely living paycheck to paycheck. There's no shame with that. It will change over time. What won't change are your habits if you don't get into the, um, the groove earlier on Pay yourself a dollar a day every day for the rest of your life, and that will compound significantly in terms of your ability to say, you know what? I'm ready to save $2 a day. I'm ready to save $5 a day. The habits, I think, are more important than the actual dollar amount. Mm. Yeah, I really think that the compounding habits thing is huge because I think a lot of people my age are always saying, I'm going to save when. I'm going to save when I have this amount of money, when I'm making this amount of money, and that sort of thing. And like you said, no dollar amount is too small to start implementing that habit because then it can just increase as you go along and, and everything like that. But I'm interested, you know, you talk to a lot of different leaders, you interview a lot of different leaders, uh, company leaders, authors, all sorts of people from different industries, different backgrounds. Are there any, we'll just maybe stick to two or three common qualities that you see in all of these people who are great leaders? Yeah, without question. So I host this radio program you mentioned called Great Life, Great Career on iHeartRadio. And I also host what is the world's largest and fastest growing leadership newsletter called On Leadership. <clears throat> and I've been privileged. I I've interviewed four-star generals. I mean, General Stanley McChrystal was an amazing experience. And Doris Kearns Goodwin won the Pulitzer Prize. Seth Godin, right, the famed marketing mind. The guy is the smartest human being I've ever met in my life, tied 
with Clayton Christensen, who is the uh, Harvard business professor who really brought this whole jobs theory concept to life. I've interviewed the, the editor of the Harvard Business Review, Karen Dillon. They all say the same thing. They all say the same thing. Character counts. Mm. You know, uh, politics aside, I think there is a, a devolving of the value of respect and character for people. Um, and, I, and I don't want to get into my opinions on who's holding the highest office, but I think, I think there, there is sadness in this vitriol of, of calling people by you know, negative names and, 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 and lying and cheating and outright just distorting the truth. Character counts more important than everything. The words you use, how you treat people, do you lie or tell the truth, do you admit your mistakes, are you humble, character counts. And character basically is, is your values. Are you trustworthy? And that's only determined by how people feel about you. Can you be trusted? Do you do what you say you're going to do? Do you follow through on your promises? Do you admit your mistakes? Are you humble? Do you lie? Do you cheat? Do you steal? So character is the number one thing. Everyone talks about it. Second, I think, and a far second, it's curiosity. Mm. Um, Every CEO will say they hire on an insatiable curiosity. You know, do you listen well or are you just constantly kind of blathering on at the mouth? Some of the wisest people I know, I'm not one of them, are great listeners. And they have an insatiable curiosity. They ask smart questions. They think about them. And so once you think you know it all, you're toast. I think the third is humility. Because contrary to most people's opinions, and I've learned this through my interviews, humility is born out of confidence. You can be a very confident person and not be an arrogant person. And it's the wise person who knows the difference. So I would say to your generation, and I have I have three boys, right? And they're coming up, they're younger than you, but they're coming up onto your age not so long from now, is read. I, I just think too much of our society are just listening and watching. You got to read. You don't increase your vocabulary by, by listening only and watching. Read the newspaper. In print or digital, I don't care. Read magazines. In print or digital, I don't care. But you will increase your communication skills. I mean, Nick, I, I mentioned to you offline how impressed I was at your command of, the, of our language. Your, your, your practice, your hard work is paid off. You're one of the most articulate 23-year-olds I've ever encountered in my life. That has come, you mentioned, from your parents, your dad. And I got to think also you're a voracious reader because you had to read some of my book to interview me tonight. So don't lose track of how important it is to read from people who are wiser and smarter than you. And here's what I, I would share lastly. I've used these two phrases interchangeably. There's a difference between being smart and being wise. All wise people are smart, but all smart people aren't wise. And I would ask yourself, how are you growing on your path to wisdom? And I think wisdom comes from listening and learning to other people who've been down the same path you're on. Mm. I think that... I'm sorry. No, no, no. I loved it. It was all... It was all perfect and perfectly, yeah, it was all perfect and actionable stuff that you can take on. I really think that humility is almost kind of a stepping a stepping stone in a sense to curiosity because you almost have to realize to yourself that I don't have all the answers, but I need to actually seek it out. And that's when you, 
start the ability to be curious and have the questions to ask is when you actually take a step back and take a step back in humility. Um, because I think a lot of people are like, I'm not that curious. How can I become curious? It, realize you don't have all the answers. Take a step back, be humble, and then figure out what you don't know and go ask it. You know, Nick, the famous um, tele or TV or movie producer, Brian Grazier, he's, I think, a partner in Imagine Entertainment with Ron Howard. He wrote a great book called A Curious Mind. I would encourage everyone to pick it up. <clears throat> There's a chapter in it where he talked about how he was interviewing for a future movie the famed uh, scientist Isaac Asimov, who is uh, one of the greatest scientific minds of our generation. And he sat down at lunch with Isaac Asimov, who have since passed. And he was asking him some questions as some research for a future movie. And Isaac Asimov's wife, I think it was his second or last final wife, he had several wives, was at lunch and she stopped the interview midstream with Brian Grazer, who's one of the most famous movie producers of our time. And she stopped the interview and she said to Brian Grazer, from, this, from the nature of your questions, it is clear to me you have not researched or read my husband's material enough. This interview is over. He deserves better. Now, I'm paraphrasing it. And she ended the lunch and she and her husband left the table. And Brian just kind of sat there stunned. And he said, you know what? She was right. I had it. I was asking him superficial questions. I'd not read his books. I'd not done the research. And he shares it about curiosity really is grounded in humility. And being comfortable saying, I don't have the answer. What does that mean? I mean, I'm 50. And, I, and with our CEO and board of directors, it is not uncommon for me to say, stop. What is that term you're saying? I don't know what that means. Most people will just fake it or Google it later. I'm confident or maybe dumb enough to say, can you stop? I don't know what that means. Can you share that, that economic theory with me? I'm not familiar with that. Mm -hmm. And I have no problem. By the way, everybody else from the table is thinking the same thing. I just exercise the courage to ask the question. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of been a hallmark. Never be afraid to say, I don't know what that means. Could you explain that to me? Right. And I think that, if I remember correctly, humility was maybe the first, first, first challenge of the 30 in your book. And you talked hey, about look at how... You. Look at you doing the preparation for this interview. You're right. <laughs> well, and then you talk about the story about how you originally didn't really have the humility and go into the meeting and other people showed up late and you got angry with them and you thought you were right for the longest time and then you were able to take a step back and, and realize maybe the mistake that you had made. Um, one of the things I love probably the most about your book is that you do present challenges at the end of every single chapter because as I told you prior to the interview, prior to start starting to record is that I love inspiration and motivation, but if there is no actionable tool or tip to actually go do it, most people don't do anything about it. So it's really important to have those actionable things and you present challenges at the end of every single chapter. So I'm intrigued as to what you think holds people back from actually taking action on something. Well, I think fear, right? I mean, we, we all have fears and it's legitimate. You know, I interviewed the famous author, Eric Barker, who wrote a book called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. It's a phenomenal book. I encourage everyone to buy it, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And it basically is a collection of myths that were told since childhood. You know, um, nice guys finish last, or you know, early, bird, early, worm gets the, early bird gets the worm. I mean, all those cliches. And some of them are true and some of them aren't. But what he talked about is that everyone needs to know their story in life. And it really inspired me, because I've heard this same concept from other wise people is 
What holds people back is fear. And our fear is usually grounded in what we've been told by others about ourselves, by our parents, mm. by our teachers, by you know ministers, if you're, if you're religious, by principals, by your brothers, by the captain of the football team who was you know, stronger and faster than you. And some of it's true, and some of it, damn it, was not true. And I think it's so important for people, your age, my age, regardless of age, to own your story. And I, and I, I share with people a quick exercise. Go into the kitchen and pull out a whisk or a wooden spoon and use it as a microphone and walk around your house and interview yourself. I was born in Orlando, Florida to a middle-class family with a brother and a mother who was a stay-at-home mom and a father. And my mother was raised by alcoholics and my father's father died when he was 10 and his brother got polio and his mother favored. I mean, just go through your raw story and share with yourself what your struggles have been and what are you confident about and what are you fearful of? And then ask yourself, was that true? Is that true? Does that need to be true? You know, because my sixth grade English teacher told me I wasn't smart, is that true? Damn it. And so leave the baggage and decide, you know what? It's not true anymore. I'm going to change that. So I think it's a long answer, but I think it's so important for people to own your story, own your journey, own your fears, and then say, is that true anymore? Could I... Could I tomorrow make that not true because someone told that about me 15 years ago and I've come to believe that? So I think most fears are irrational. Now, mm. I hate snakes. I hate alligators. I hate sharks. <laughs> They're fairly right. rational fears. But I have other fears. I had to say, you know what? Why can't I be a radio host? Why can't I own my own podcast? Why can't I write a best-selling book? Why can't I open up my own company? So long, long story to say, Confront your fears, and there are there are rational fears, right? I don't skydive, I don't bungee jump, um, I don't use drugs. But know your story, own your journey, and ask yourself, is this true about me, and is it not? Mm. And whether it is or it isn't, how do I change it? I really like that you said, like, walk around and actually speak it out loud to yourself. Because a lot of times you don't know necessarily the fears that you have, and you don't know whether to identify whether or not it's rational or not until you kind of hear it yourself out loud. So I think that's really important. Um, what, obviously, I would have loved to watch every single podcast or every single webcast that you had done with everything. But one of the ones I did watch, and I was happy that I did, is one where you talked about reinventing yourself. And I think one of the most admirable qualities that I look up to in somebody is being able to intentionally and purposefully put themselves in uncomfortable situations because they know that there's opportunity on the other side to be able to grow a new skill set, learn something new or something of that nature. And I feel like to me, that's what popped in my head when you talked about reinventing yourself and how you choose something maybe every three years to dive into in order to reinvent who you are and the skill sets that you have and the knowledge that you have. So I kind of want you to just talk about the importance of that idea of reinventing yourself. You know, Nick, as the older I've gotten, the less I care what people think about me. I, I care passionately, you know, what my creator thinks about me, what my wife thinks about me. I, I care less what most people think about me because I know who I am. Now, it wasn't always that way. And I think as, as you become older and wiser, people become more comfortable with who they are. I think that reinventing yourself 
is absolutely paramount to staying ahead of the curve, especially with your generation where technology, competition, a global economy, resources allows everybody to have a competitive advantage. So the less you care what people think about you, the more you'll be open to take risks and be open to feedback. I don't, like I said, I don't read all the negative stuff online. I mean, imagine what's going to happen on Amazon when my book comes out, Management Math, Solution Success. It will be trashed. It'll be thrashed. People will question my ability to be a corporate officer. You know, I won't even listen to it. I know who I am. I'm already on to my next book. So care less what people think about you. Care more what you think about yourself and what your board of directors thinks about you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that I don't care what the CEO thinks about me. I absolutely do. I have a lot of celebrity friends that have earned their fame, that have earned their influence. I care a lot what Seth Godin thinks about me. I care a lot what Dan Pink thinks about me. These are very wise, influential people. I'm very careful to always deliver on my promise. But I don't, I don't have let fear and people's opinions of me, by and large, hold me back. So I'm just kind of on to the next thing. You know, the radio program may or may not be successful. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting a pilot for a TV program. That's a reality series that could take off huge. It might flop. You know what? On to the next thing. I passionately believe disappointment can lead to appointment, meaning an appointment with someone else, with something else. So as mm. you're reinventing yourself, don't be afraid to fail. As I mentioned to you earlier. Every person I've interviewed, they will tell you they have had hundreds of humiliating failures before they made it onto The Apprentice or before they had the number one best-selling book. And so you got to set some goals for yourself and know kind of where am I headed? What do I want? And I've always had a 20-year plan. Like I knew when I was 18, I wanted to be the CEO of a company. I thought I wanted to run for Congress. And at, you know, at 19, at 22, at 24, I had it plotted out how much money I wanted to earn, what the next title was, what that job was I needed to go get to get there. And I think too many people, to your generation too, don't turn off the TV, turn off the radio, and just think, where do I want to be six months from now, one mm-hmm. year from now? And plot it out, write it out. Put it on your wall and visualize it, and the odds that you'll make it come true are exponentially higher. Right. Well, that's a great, perfect transition into the next question. Um, we're down to the last two. I always ask the same last two questions to every guest that comes on. And this first one is, you know, you mentioned your future planning, but I'm going to start with uh, throwing out the age questions. So how old are you currently right now? I'm 50. I'll be 51 this year. Okay. Awesome. Very good. But I have, and- a, four-year- but I have a four-year-old, so I'm, I'm actually young at heart. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's important. So inevitably, 10 years down the road, you're going to be 60 years old, right? Almost 61. And so what I like to ask people is, what does that 60-year-old look like? What have you done? What have you currently accomplished? And, and what are you currently doing? So what does that 60-year-old Scott Miller look like? Yeah, I think I'd answer on two fronts, right? I got married later in life. I was 41 when I got married. And my wife is younger than I am. And we had three kids pretty quick, three boys in five years. Mm-hmm. So my values and my goals have changed slightly because now my number one role in life is father. Whether I, whether I want it to be or not, I've made a commitment. I made decisions. And my reputation is now <coughs> partially dependent upon 
my key role in life is raising these three boys to be successful in life, making sure they make good decisions. So my number one goal and measure of success will be, have I helped to launch these three boys well in a very difficult world with social media, pornography everywhere, ubiquitous drugs, legalization of marijuana, temptations galore. And I wanna make sure that my boys have strong self-confidence, can follow their passions, and that they're happy. So that's my first goal. My, my life will be successful if my boys are launched well. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, you know, I expect to become a best-selling author. I think I'm turning into a pretty good writer. I think that my, um, my point of view is kind of calling out what a lot of people say to be true but always isn't in leadership. And so I think I'll write probably four or five books. I think I'll become a, a fairly influential speaker and thought leader. Uh, and I'd like to give back to the next generation because all the people ahead of me gave back to me. So I, I do want to give back. So I think being a successful father and becoming an influential author and thought leader is probably where I'm headed. Those are great and very admirable. That's awesome. So before I ask the last question, I want to acknowledge you first, Scott, because I think the common theme that I keep hearing from you is being able to is humility, being able to surround yourself around people who are willing to give you the tough answers, give you the things that maybe you don't want to hear, but gives you the stuff that you need to hear in order to start taking action on yourself and on your self-awareness to Im improve your personal performance. And I think that for you, like you said, or like we talked about in the first chapter of your book, maybe you weren't always like that. You had to have these different experiences in order to make that happen. But a lot of people have those experiences and don't have the humility or these different qualities to actually actually take that step back. So I want to I want to acknowledge you for being able to do that, and then for being able to say all of these great career successes. But your number one priority moving forward is going to be a father, and I think that's great. And obviously, I know my father was such a huge influence on my life, and I wouldn't be where I am today. Not that where I not that where I am is up here, but I know I wouldn't be who I am today without my father. So I know that you're. Um, going to be on the right path to leading them and launching them well. Um, but then I want to make sure, I know everybody's going to absolutely love this episode and want to take notes about it, and they're going to want more from you. They're going to want more from your on leadership, uh, the great life, great career, and the book. Um, so I want you to tell them where they can find those podcasts and your book's coming out in June, correct? Right. So my book that I've written is called Management Mess to Leadership Success. And it's kind of a blush-worthy, raw, very vulnerable look at my own journey to become a leader. And, and I am an executive vice president in the world's most profound, wise, influential leadership company. So I share all of my horror stories, things I did horribly, a couple of things I did right along the way. And I think people will find it to be relatable. So it's on sale now for pre-order. It's available in bookstores on June 18th, Management Mess to Leadership Success. I'm writing two more books. Another one is called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, The Six Critical Practices for Leading a Team. I'm the co-author of that book coming out in October. And my radio program, you can find it on iHeartRadio. You can find it on Stitcher, iTunes, Franklin Covey, uh, everywhere. It's called Great Life, Great Career. It's a um, interview program much like your own. And I host, like I said, On Leadership. It is a free subscription newsletter that comes out every Tuesday. You can visit franklincovey.com and register for free. And it has a video interview with major thought leaders and celebrities, as well as a podcast. And each week I write a blog 
and you can download a tool. That's part of the Franklin Covey company. So thank you for the opportunity. You are going to be a rock star. You are <laughs> going to be famous and influential. And someday I'll look forward to an invite back on your program. <laughs> well, well, I appreciate that. Everybody go to those different places and, and listen to those interviews. Like he already mentioned some of the guests that he's, that he's had on in the past, uh, Seth Godin, uh, Daniel Pink, and some of these great people who are some of the smartest people in the entire world. So you're going to want to go listen to some of those. Um, but the last question I always ask everybody, and I talk about how we're always on the constant journey of becoming becoming the best version of ourselves, And I think that constant journey looks a little bit different for every single person. The way I become the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way you become the best version of yourself. And I think it's really important for everybody to identify their uniqueness and be able to magnify those sorts of things. So what I want to ask you is if there are currently three things that you could do or work on to become closer to the best version of yourself, what are those three things that you could do or three things that you could work on? Wow. Leave the hard run for the last. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah, I think I'll try to make it fast. One is I come back to this idea of, as you said, focus and discipline, right? Is, is learn to say no. I love to say yes. And I say yes to way too much. And no is better. The famed author Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great and Built to Last and others, talks about the importance of having a to-do list but also a not to do list. Mm. So I think it's 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 the smart people that have the wisdom and discipline to say no, not right now. All, all these best selling authors have the same thing in common. When Seth Godin, Dan Pink, Kim Scott, Jim Collins go to write a book, you don't see or hear from them for a year and a half. They give no speeches, no interviews. They just head down and they go do one thing. I mean, literally, you know, Seth Godin makes $250,000 for a speech. And he says yes. no to them every day of the week for a greater yes. Mm. So the discipline to do that is, is important. I think the second thing I said is to know your story, know your journey. Own who you are. Like yourself. I, I, I have had thousands of people say, Scott, you got to calm down. Scott, you talk too fast. Scott, you're too excited. And you know, for I think 20 years, I listened to them. And I think now, I never should have listened to them. I should have said, calm down, you bore me. <laughs> Talk faster, why don't you think faster? Keep up with me. And I think for too long, I listened to people who maybe were jealous by me or didn't like me. I'm like, you know what? There's seven and a half billion people in the world. I'm gonna go find someone who does like me. And I did that, and I married her. She's my best friend. So. I think is first is learn to say no to the good at the expense of yes to the great. Second, know your story, know your journey, know what is true about you and not true about you. And then third, like yourself, run with your strengths. You know what? I've learned to like me. I have high energy. I'm always like this at 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Right. I talk fast and I think fast and I move fast and I walk fast. I do everything fast. And if you don't like me, Follow somebody else. Read someone else's book. If you do like me, bring it on. Because um, there are people who like who you are. Run with your strengths. Don't try to be someone you're not. The best coaching that everybody gives me on public speaking, hosting the radio program, is the same thing. Let Scott be Scott. <clears throat> and let Nick be Nick. And listen to your critics, but love the people who are your champions and move with your strengths. 
That's awesome. Well, those are phenomenal three. I absolutely love them. And that's all we got today. Appreciate it, Scott. Nick, thanks for your time, man. You're a star. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, thank you. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now it's time to act. Leave a like and a comment on YouTube. Subscribe to that page. If you're on iTunes, leave it a five-star review. Help the show move up the ranks so more and more people can get access to it. Feel free to take a screenshot of this episode and let me know you're listening on Instagram. Everyone go check out everything Scott Miller is creating right now. I know you loved all the tools and tips that he gave you in this episode, and he has even more with great life, great career, and on leadership with Scott Miller. Go ahead and pre-order Management Mess to Leadership Success so that you can start becoming the leader that you would follow. Remember, everybody, surround yourself with individuals who are willing to give you meaningful feedback. Block out the noise, the criticism, or even the praise from people who don't know you or who don't know what you're going through. Seek out the people in your life who are going to make you better as an individual and in your career because they're willing to give you the honest feedback. Have a game plan for yourself. A lack of vision leads to a lack of action. A lack of action leaves you stagnant, and when you're stagnant, you're not going to be fulfilled. So set some sort of goal for yourself and then be true to who you are on the way to achieving it. Thanks so much for listening. Keep taking consistent action every single day. Now it's time to go out and upgrade yourself today to get closer and closer to your best you. 